Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Uh, you may remember that I was back with you some weeks ago, and then at that point I was the pastor of Crosspoint Church, and I'm no longer the pastor. Uh, our executive director, our man who cast the vision for Michigan, invited me uh, to be his first hire to join him to develop a strategy, as we've mentioned, to start churches, strengthen churches, and send churches on mission with Christ. And the reason being, I think, is because uh, as we had interviewed him and invited him in, I didn't know it, but he turned the tables on me, and I was being interviewed as we were just visiting casually. And uh, Jamie and I invited him to have dinner with us after he spoke at our church. He came home with us. We had our three adult kids there with their spouses. The place was just filled with noise. We have eight grandchildren ranging in the age from 2 to 14. And so they were running from the basement to the first floor to the second floor. They read books together, played, ate dinner, played out in the backyard. And, And Pastor Tim Patterson just kept sticking around with us. And I thought, this guy is a glutton for punishment, man. You know, he didn't have to be here. He could have left any time at all. But later that day, he leaned on the counter after everybody was gone, and he said, I want to invite you and Jamie to consider coming to help us in Michigan. Well, since that time now, and since us accepting, we've learned that the uh, that your group of Christians here in Canada are willing for us to come across the border and help start new churches and strengthen new churches. And so we were thrilled with that. And so Pastor Garth and I, we've become good friends, close friends, and we're praying about the future of how we might come together. And you've got to tell... You've got to tell Pastor Phil and his wife, Brandy, that they are some of the luckiest people, man, in the world. Because I think you guys are just as sweet as ever and just wonderful people. And I think you're going to just bless them abundantly when they come to join you on staff. And I know you're going to love them and make them feel special. So uh, that's how dearly we've loved you in our hearts. And my wife, she was feeling a little bit under the weather. We were kind of iffy whether she's coming. Uh, she has been sanitized, okay, so you guys can't approach her and remain safe all you want. Hey, listen, this morning, if you would, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and I believe Pastor Garth communicated to me that you guys have been in a sermon series about the promises of God. Is that true or is that false? That's true. You know, I'll tell you what, isn't it wonderful to focus on the promises of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, because a lot of people make promises today, uh, but very few keep those promises. There's always a way to kind of slide out from them. And so there's only one that really maintains those promises, and it's our Lord. And He watches over us, and He gives us strength. And uh, one of the things I love about our Lord, too, is that He is also a God who is filled with perfections. You know, when we talk about one another, I might say that my wife is just as friendly and as loving as possible. Now, that will always be true in your case, but there are days when she's not as loving and welcoming with me, okay? Just because I'm not that good. You know, if there's something that comes up, she's like, you know, she is a great woman. But we have characteristics and traits as human beings, don't we? We have characteristics. We have traits. But God has not just characteristics. He has perfections. He's always just, but he's also always filled with grace. He's always merciful, but he's always seeking righteousness in our lives. I mean, it's just wonderful. God has this perfection. And so here we are today, getting ready to get into Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to be talking about the promise of God being a partner in your life during trials and temptations and struggles and those difficult moments. Anybody here this morning going through a difficult moment in your life at all that you just want to confess it by lifting up your hand? 
you, or you want to show off and act like you don't have any. Okay, I see some thumbs. Yeah, that was good. The thumb up, kind of like, yeah, I'm going to keep my arm folded, but yeah, it's me. You know, it's me. I'm, I've got some things going on. You know, if, if you're not, uh, all of us that just raised our hands or raised our thumb, we're going to look at you later and go, <laughs> how does it feel now, <laughs> all right, that you're in it because you get in there. But here's the thing. The promise that God gives us that he'll be our partner in that struggle, in that time of trial. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to read a passage with you. And I'm reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Uh, I can't remember if I told you I'd be reading from the ESV or the um, NLT. Today, if you don't mind, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It's the one I've chosen this year to just kind of freshen my attitude in reading Scripture. Every year, Jamie and I try to just choose a new translation to read. I've given up reading Greek and Hebrew a long time ago, okay? Hey, and the other two modern languages is French. So I can look at my wife and I can go, Shetem, which is I love you, okay? And, or Shetador, you know what I mean? It's like all that. And then if it's in Zarma, it's Agabini, okay? Agabini. See, it sounds better in French, doesn't it? You know, if you want to say I love you. But, uh, but, but here today, we're going to look at God's word. And, and these words, whether it's the New Living Translation, the English Standard Version, these words were God-breathed. So think about this. The Lord right now, as we're going to read Scripture, wants to let you feel his breath as he speaks into your ears, into your life, and into your situation. So if you wouldn't mind, just stand to your feet. We're going to read the opening text that we'll be reading from, and it's Philippians chapter 4, verses, through, uh, verses 11 through 13. 11 through 13. And just let me lead us in a moment of prayer, not only for us, but for the 25 or so men who are with Pastor Garth at a retreat, who will be coming back, I think sometime today, to join you back in the normal life. And you know what? Here's my prayer, that those men come back different than when they left, and that all of you and us can absorb them in those changes and celebrate the differences in their life and not be skeptical, going, yeah, we always all come back from a retreat all pumped up and on the mountain, but you know, tomorrow's tomorrow. Love them. Let them dream. Let them have hope. Let them feel that there's been this significant change and just keep them in your prayers, okay? Philippians 4, 11 through 13, it says, Now, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Let's pray. Father, we ask today that you would open our hearts to your holy word. Father, let it be a word that penetrates our souls, our motives, our minds, our hearts, our attitudes, and that, Lord, when we leave this place, that there will be a transformation in who we are, that we will literally be different when we leave. And, Father, today we pray for the men who are gathered together for their final meetings, their final time of prayers, their final time of confession where they're seeking to be transformed. Father, may that change in them become so significant that when their family members see them walk into the house today, or they hear the way they talk, that like the people that saw Moses with that glow on his face, they will see that they have been with you. And Lord, that the change will sustain itself. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today, I want to kind of share with you about what 
we're discussing, and we're going to specifically focus on 4.13, that whole idea of, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We hear it when athletes talk about the fact that, you know, they were able to get the touchdown and win the game because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or a business person will, you know, chime in and say, you know, I couldn't have done it if it hadn't been for the Lord, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it seems like that passage is always associated with some kind of significant success in people's lives. At times, it almost becomes like a magical mantra in people's lives, where if they're going to seek achievement, or they're trying to attain fame, or they're trying to get fortune, you know, you hear people saying, man, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, they just kind of quote it to themselves, like, I'm going to achieve this in my life. It would be like a sumo wrestler and a ballerina praying in the same room, okay? And this is the way, popularly, it seems. A sumo wrestler, big monster of a guy, been training for years. And he's on his knees after people helping to the ground, okay? And he puts his hands together, chubby and big like they are. And he goes, oh, Lord, I'd like to be a ballerina. That's right, a world-class ballerina. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, just for a moment, picture that sumo wrestler in tights on stage, okay? All right, just picture that. And then the ballerina's over here on the other side, and she's been to a worship experience, and she's on her knees, and she's, you know, praying, Oh, Lord, I'm tired of being a world-class ballerina. I'd like to be a world champion sumo wrestler. Give me the strength to eat all the food I can consume in the next three years. Okay, now, that, to me, seems like that's how popularly some people have used for years and years, Philippians 4.13. So today... As we try to focus on the promise of God, I hope that we can discover that this is really less about changing the condition that we're in in our lives or the condition of who we are, but it's us learning how to have an enduring faith, an enduring trust in God through those times, through those times. Years ago, Jamie and I were called by God to go to a place where we had never been, to work among a people we had never seen, to speak a language we had never, ever heard back in the 90s. Do you remember that moment? And uh, we went to the Niger Republic of West Africa, just south of the Sahara Desert. And when we arrived there, I got off the on the plane with my family. We walked on the tarmac because there you just kind of pull up a ladder to the plane and you walk out. And I remember walking away from the plane and saying to myself, as soon as we get away from the jet engines of the plane, it's going to finally feel cool, only to realize that we were away from the jet engines of the plane and it was 110 degrees when we landed during that time of the year. The average temperature was always high. It only rained three months out of the year, and we walked into a country for the first time in our lives where we were among a people of 17 million in the Niger Republic. It was the country to which John F. Kennedy had sent the first Peace Corps volunteer to help alleviate suffering in the nation there back in the 1960s. And here we are now landing on this thing, and we're going to change this world for Jesus. Muslim nation. Everybody going to the mosque and bowing down five times a day toward Mecca. And I'm going to tell you, day after day, week after week, month after month, we were gripped by the poverty that we were seeing every single day. In fact, if you look this up on the Google search or Bing or whatever you use in your search, you'll find that the country of the Niger Republic was listed and still is listed as one of the worst places to live in your entire life on this planet. There's something called the World Suffering Index. So we thought, how can we tell these people about Jesus 
when they're suffering so much. And boy, we prayed and we opened the scriptures and then we came to that reinforced attitude within our lives that especially these people need to know about Jesus. You see, for some of us, there are some of us that we're going to go through long-time, long-term suffering or difficulties or tribulations in our lives because we ourselves have chosen a path. Oh, we fell in love with that guy that reached his you know, apex of life when he was a high school senior. And so you got the guy that was the most popular and the most handsome and the most successful because he was making you know, a little bit above minimum wage. And you were like, I can't wait to marry that fellow. You know? And so you did, and then difficulty came because he reached his apex of his life in his senior year. And now you're kind of going, Lord, I wish I would have waited and made a different decision. Some of us, we make decisions about the job we choose, and we're like, God, why did I get that boss? I thought she was nice during the interview, but now she is a monster every day I come to work. How can I endure this? Some of you married into families with mother-in-laws or father-in-laws or in-laws, you're still going, Lord, I love my spouse, but I sure could do without the family get-togethers, right? Okay? And I hope you're not sitting next to family. Well, today, we're going to find out, we're going to find out that in, in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ, that Christ means that he can help us during those times of trials and difficulties. So we want to find how we can be helped by the Lord as we can make it through dealing with people and sometimes the places that we're at and the problems that we face. Look at verse 11 in the text that we just read. It says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Paul's writing this to a group of people. Now, I want you to keep in mind that the Philippian church had three members that we know about from reading the book of Acts. There was Lydia, the businesswoman who had started a prayer group down by the riverside. And so she was a businesswoman, very successful, had a lot of money. And even it's it's guessed by reading scripture that she had two homes, you know, the winter home, the summer home. And so she's a part of this church. There was a girl who had been demon-possessed who she was leaning on the fact that her master was helping her, having her do prophecies. And so now she's been released from this demon, and so she's a part of the church. And then there's the Philippian jailer, you know, who had beaten some guys who loved Jesus and been a part of all that. And then after he comes to know Christ, he's helping mend their wounds, and, and his whole family gives their life to Christ. So everybody was on a different socioeconomic scale, and Paul's writing to them, and he says, you know what, I learned a long time ago to be content with whatever I had, or I didn't have in my life. When we look at the scripture, here's what it's really reinforcing for all of us. We can't change the rules of our conduct when we're following Jesus when times get tough. But boy, isn't it hard not to want to change the rules, right? It is. It is. It's hard not to want to change the rules when you feel unhappy, when you feel that there's trials in your life, when there's something just not working for you. And I love the word in verse 11 in this translation where it says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content. We'll talk about the word content in a few more moments. But here's, here's the thing I want to share with you. We've got to learn to be happy or sustained with a joy of pursuing our holy calling even when times are tough. Even when times are tough. Here's how this worked in my life. We have eight grandchildren. Eight grandchildren. I love them all dearly. It's true, they have me all wrapped around their fingers. I'll do anything they want. And I remember the first time we, planned, we pulled out the game Candyland. Okay, Candyland, you guys know all about Candyland. Simple game, right? You can get bored out of your mind if you're playing with adults, but with kids, it's still kind of fun. And so we shuffled up the cards, and we put them in there, and you choose your gingerbread man, and you're doing you know, your card pull. And the first two of my granddaughters, when they pulled out the ones where they had to go back, they were like, oh, Papa. 
Papa, I don't want to slide back there. Papa, I'm going to lose, you know? I would say things like, ah, let's just pull that card out and put it over here. That's a no-play card, okay? You know, and I like, put it over here. In fact, let's just put it under the board and just keep on playing. And so they play. Well, Grandma came into the room. She started making dinner for us, and she heard that Papa was breaking the rules of the game. Okay, you know what my wife said? She said, honey, what are you doing? She says, why, why are you changing the rules of the game? And I said, it made my granddaughter sad, you know? I mean, she did this out loud in front of my granddaughters, okay? I mean, she was, you know, she was just saying, but she says, but shouldn't they learn that they're not always going to be the winner in the game and that sometimes you're disappointed? Gentlemen, how many of you hate it when your wife or your mother or a woman speaks to you like that and you're like, man, yeah, me too. I'm like, man, that is so true, but gummit, why did you have to say that, you know? Paul says here, even when I'm going through my trials, even when things are tough, even when things don't go my way, I want to pursue a holy calling rather than my human cravings. Rather than my human cravings. And that's really what it is to be content. It's not like the cow on the side of the field eating grass. That's usually what we think of when we think of contentment. But contentment means that I know that I have resolved to do what is right and nobody can stop me from doing it even when that moment comes when doing what is right is tough. Do you understand that? I mean, so that means even fixing your own spiritual life. Some of you may be here today without the dearest love of your life because he or she chose not to come to church with you today. And that breaks your heart and your suffering. And even when you came, there might have been a little bit of a spat, you know, where you could tell that they were like just trying to break your spirit so you would stay home and not come and hang out with all those holy rollers and those Jesus people and things. Those things happen in people's lives. That's reality. But then you get here and it's because you know that what you're doing is right, even if it's tough. Paul says, I've learned the joy of following the Lord in this way. So my question for you this morning is, do you break the rules when times with people are tough? Do all of a sudden the vocabulary doesn't change, okay? The words that come out of your mouth, you know, okay, well, now I'm mad too because you started being mad. We shouldn't. We ought to just be who Jesus wants us to be. Because that's the holy calling, not the human craving to pay back in someone's life. How about those places where you are? You know, it's easy to come to church around, you know, mid-morning and just kind of, you know, put our smile on and walk on, walk in. And, you know, but there have been Sundays when things just didn't go right. And you're driving down Provincial Road, right? And there's a little bit of a discussion going on. And everybody just kind of takes a deep breath before you open the car doors. And it's like, okay, Right? Man, you guys must be better than me, okay? All right, but you know, you just got, you know, right? And you know, you do that, you walk out. People, places, you know, we got to be the same everywhere. That's the sincerity. That's the thing of being pure of heart, who we really are. Or maybe it's the problems. Guess what? Um, We're all going to have problems that we deal with. The quicker you learn, and some of you are still very young in this room. I was born in 59. Some of you weren't even thought of in 59, all right? The quicker you learn that you cannot control people, you cannot control the places that you're in at times, and you cannot surely control all the problems that are going to arrive in your life because problems will come into your life that you were not the author of. It's the the authors of the people that you love, that you care about, that you've raised, that live in your home, that sometimes come and visit you. Those things are there. But here's what Paul is saying in this verse. I've learned to be content. I've learned to find that power, that being holy in my life is better than having that human craving just to be human. Look at verse 12. Here's what verse 12 says. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing 
or everything. And I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. I remember one day when Jamie and I were invited to go help this woman who, a friend of ours in Africa said, my sister, she's, she's still very sick. We've had her to the hospital. They performed surgery. And, and you know, I, you guys are Christians. Would you come see her and would you talk to her? And we, we approached his open yard. And as we approached the yard, we noticed that his sister was sitting over to the right away from everybody else who was near the hut. And so as we went to see her, she had herself wrapped up in a scarf and she was, you know, just there and she was looking poor and pained. And I'll tell you, the people of the Niger Republic are tough. They can endure all kinds of things. And as we walked over to visit with her, we smelled an aroma. It was like a stench. We went over there and we greeted her. And in Africa, so many times, Jamie has this wonderful preoccupation and skill in medicine. Even though she's never earned a degree, she just, she just knows what to do with things. And she just gently talked to the woman and treated her. And, and the woman undid the scarf and just showed that she had this massive wound on her chest. It was breast cancer. Breast cancer. It had been removed at the hospital by a French surgeon. She was sent home. There's no such thing as chemotherapy. There's no such thing as radiation for a poor African woman. And she talked to us, and we brought in a medical friend that we had, and he did the inspection. He interviewed her, learned about all the history of the medical care. And uh, we left, and we conferred together, had a conference, and, and we came back, and, and Sankara talked to us, and he said, there's nothing that can be done for her. And we said, yes, there is. We went back. We shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with this woman. When we saw her that first day and then that second day with Sankara, there was this depth to her eyes where it was just like empty. And we said, we know that you followed the way of Islam all your life, but we're here today. By the providence of God, we've come all the way from the United States by good people who have followed one by the name of Jesus. And we want to tell you about him. And we just rolled right into discussing how everyone is broken without a relationship with God because of the evil that we do in our lives and the fact that we ignore him in our lives. We then rolled right into the scripture where it says, but this is what God has done on our behalf. Even when we didn't appreciate or even acknowledge who he was, we can receive him as our Lord and Savior because Jesus took our punishment upon himself, upon the cross. We refer to scriptures in the book of Romans, the book of Acts, the book of John. And at the end of this, we looked at this woman's life. We said, now, we know all about your history, but we're inviting you to change your future by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This moment is between you and my wife and me. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ as Lord of your life? And in the Zarma language, she responded with the affirmative by saying, oh, ho, oh, ho. We then helped her understand how she could pray and invite Jesus Christ to become her Lord and Savior. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, and with all the acknowledgement that I could swear to you today by everything that I have seen in my life, when we got done praying and we looked into that woman's eyes, those black, barren holes that we once looked at were now filled with the gleam and with the light of Jesus Christ. It was amazing. She passed away. But one day, I will see that woman in heaven because she placed her faith in Jesus Christ despite the fact that she and her family had followed Islam all of their lives. We were unable to give her anything to change her physical life. We were unable to change anything about the future dealing with cancer, but we were able to change her eternity by giving her Jesus Christ. Paul knew that in his life. He could have... He could have craved the human thing. Oh, I want to make her life easier. I want her to stop suffering. I want her to have no pain. And he could have... Like that, we felt that way. But all we could do was give her the holy calling that we knew in our lives. So today, we look at verse 13, and here it is. It says, For I could do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Gives me strength. How can that be? 
Here's how we'll do. In closing, I want to ask you to give yourself a pop quiz. Here's what you can do in your own life for yourself, and I'll do in my life too. And, and I use these four words all the time to give myself an assessment. I'd like to ask you to ask yourself in this pop quiz this imaginary moment. I'd like you to picture all of you standing somewhere in a room in the private area of your life, and you have four cardboard boxes. We're looking for a new home. Maybe that's why the boxes came to my mind. So we've got things. My home is 95% empty of all of our belongings because it's been shown to people to buy. Okay, Praise God. Somebody offered it. We've accepted and Now we're looking for home. Otherwise, we're going to be homeless in a matter of weeks. All right. Well, there's these cardboard boxes we have put into a garage. And I guess this is what I was thinking about with you. You know, how is it that you know that your life is the pursuit, the contentment that you have is a holy calling rather than human cravings. Here's how. Four things. Ask yourself today, if I had a box in front of you and I had it labeled affections, affections, what would be inside that box for you? What are the things that you know in your life that you love? That you would say, well, it'd be that, it'd be that, and it'd be that. You know, what are the things that really adjust your life? What would be the things that you'd place in that box? So what is it that you have your affections for? Now, you know, I know you're going to say, well, it's going to be my Jesus. But is it your little tiny Jesus or is it the big, massive Jesus that he's first in your life? How about this one? How about your attitudes? And this goes to the area of places. Have you ever noticed that, you know, you turn off your car and depending on where you're going into, your attitude can change like this and like that? And like that, some of you don't like where you're working right now. And you're like, Lord, I just want you to move me. And the Lord's trying to get across to you, but I've given you a mission field. You're wanting to have another stepping stone, but I've given you a mission field. Those people that you right now don't like being around, those are the ones that you should be talking to about your faith in me. So you know that's what we can do. So he wants to move you from that that attitude to a different attitude. So if you open up your box, what kind of attitude would you say, man, if I looked at this last week, this last month, I would say that my box would be filled with these kinds of attitudes. Attitudes. Does that make sense? Third box. Here's the third box. Open it up. Mark it so you know what you're putting in there. This one is called actions. Actions. Okay. Because, you know, we can, we can talk about all the theoretical stuff, what's in my heart, what's in my mind. But here's this thing. The actions. And you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, we can act nice when we're around everybody else when it's time to be good and holy. But you know who really sees the real actions in our life? The ones who are closest to us in our home, they really see it. They see what we neglect, and they see what we do within our lives. We say we love our families, but we're gaming all night long rather than interacting with our families. We say that we love and we care for one another, but we have no time to really give good, deep conversation to someone or listen. So, you know, what about the actions? Is it real? So we got that one, okay? We got affections, attitudes, action. Here's the fourth one, ambition. All right, ambition. Think about that box, okay? What has been driving you in your life these last weeks, these last months? And let's face it, every one of us are in some phase of life, right? Some of you, you're like me. You got a little bit of gray in the temples. You're going, man, you know, I'm cheering myself right now. Retirement has come, and I'm just doing nothing. You know what? In Scripture, there's no such thing as retirement. It's called redeployment, Marshal your time and your energy and your efforts to serve God in a greater way, in a magnificent way within your life. Remember when you used to say, Pastor, I'd like to help with that, but you know I'm doing overtime right now. You know, I'd like to help with that, but you know what? I've just got just little time in my life because we're putting in a lot of hours at work. Or, you know, I'm carrying two jobs. Or, you know, I'm trying to get that boss to notice me so I get my promotion. Guess what? You're retired now, so you can be redeployed doing all these wonderful things for the Lord. So what is your ambition right now within your life? 
You see, those things will drive what we're saying here because Paul had one single attitude, affection, action, and ambition in his life, and that was to make Jesus known. To make Jesus known. That was his whole thing with his entire life. If you would, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. We're going to look at this just real quickly together as I close and, and just, just think about this because this describes it so beautifully. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. Because here's the thing. In the earlier passage, when we read the word content, we're going to think, like we saw the other day when we were looking at properties out in one of the communities, there was this Siberian husky laying in the grass, grass just catching the sun rays. Do you remember seeing that? I mean, it was in the grass. It was just like, oh, this feels so good. He was just laying there, you know, or the cow grazing on the edge of a hill. This contentment is not something passive. It's something that you have to struggle for because guess what? Tomorrow when you get up, it's going to be easy for you to think that, you know what? Uh, that was something to talk about yesterday, but man, he doesn't understand. I've got to get the money. I've got to make the house. I've got to get the payments. I've got to get this relationship going. I've got to get this closeness to this person in my life. Listen to what it says here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and, verse six and following. It says, Yet true godliness, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Right now, every one of us could leave this place wealthy if we would change the definition of the word wealthy. Does that make sense? Based on just the one verse we read, it said that true godliness with contentment. That is, you are happy that the main pursuit of your life is to be just like the Lord wants you to be, that you have a holy calling, and that your holy calling is much more important than anything else in life. You're not seeking payback anymore. You don't think that everybody has to give to you. You can't change them. You can't change the place. You can't change the problems in your life. But you know what? You're going to learn to be like Jesus in everything you look at in life because he's a partner with you saying, I can help you do all things through me because I can give you strength in the midst of that bad relationship, that problem, or that situation. I can help you to be godly. Not change the circumstance, but endure it with a faith that just keeps on keeping on. Look now, if you would, at verse 7. It says there, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Let us be content. Verse 9, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. They plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Oh, my goodness. Money. Now, we all we understand that. But you know what I think, too? Some people like the prestige. You know what I'm saying? You know, people can, it's not about the money, but they want to be like, when they talk, they want everybody in the room to be quiet and listen to what they got to say. Because they think everything coming out of their mouth is just like silver and gold, okay? That's the prestige thing. There are some people that want the profit, and then there's the people that want the power over everybody else. Okay, would you agree with that? The prestige, the power, the profit. And he's saying here, he says, you know what? You got to be careful, because when you pursue those things and you don't pursue this holiness, you're going to pierce yourself. It's like walking through a narrow passageway with those little barbs that stick out. Don't tear your clothing. Don't scrape yourself. Don't get a wound. And yet, how many of us, because we pursued the wrong things in life, we've gotten down a chamber in our life with all these little arrows sticking at us, these sharp edges, and we don't recognize who we are anymore because we've tried to change so much to make the situation different, the person different, the problem different. 
And God says, just be all you can be in me. That's what we need to be. That's what we need to be. Be true to the Lord, and you'll be happy with who you are at the end of those trials, those temptations, and those troubles within your life. And then look at verses 11 and following. Here it is. It just finishes up with this. It says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evils. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Oh, wow. So contentment takes on an entirely different meaning, doesn't it? I mean, it takes on an entirely different image. It's not just laying in the grass with the sun shining on you, just trying to be holy and not interacting, but instead it uses words like pursue, hold tightly, take hold, grip it so that your fingers are like white when you finally let them go, the blood is rushed out. Hold tightly to being a godly person in every single situation, and it says there to run away from the evil. Run away from it. So, man, all of a sudden, contentment has become very active, very strong, very something, something where you have to be a warrior in order to do that within your life. Gathering, people at the gathering, that's what we all need to pursue. And if you're here today without Jesus Christ and he's never become your Lord and Savior, there are so many in this room that would say to you today that they would invite you to stop pursuing all those things you're pursuing and simply stop because Jesus has been walking alongside you all the time trying to invite you to become one with him, to let him become your savior. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter preaches to an entire crowd, and he says in Acts 4, 12, there's no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, it's recorded, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So without Christ, you're already struggling and pursuing something. Just stop and look, and God's right there waiting on you. For those of you that are believers and you trusted Christ, you know what it's like. We all make those mistakes where we're saying, I love the Lord and he loves me and that's all I need. And then all of a sudden, We start bringing up these idols in our lives. We start opening up those cardboard boxes and we start saying, I love this more than I love Jesus. I love this more than relationship with him. And now you know that you need to just put that out of the box and say that my attitudes, my affections, my actions, and my ambitions need to be nothing but Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these wonderful people. I thank you for the fact that they've got such a great mission within their heart. I thank you for all the things they're going to accomplish And holy God, I ask that, Lord, you would just bless them mightily. That, Father, that their hearts would just be turned to you day and night. That the vision that you have for the gathering would be their vision. That the ambition that you have for them would be their ambition, Father. And that each one of them would look deep within the souls that they have within their lives, Lord, and bring out everything and just let it belong to you, Father. May they begin to see the fingerprints of your touch upon their lives. And may, hopefully today, they've heard something within the context of this message in the scripture to know that, Lord, you spoke to them and they can say that truly this morning they felt the breath of God upon their neck as you whispered into their lives and ears, Father. May you be glorified in everything that's done as we leave this place changed and different, transformed to accomplish your purpose. Content, 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 Lord, to pursue your holy calling. In Jesus' name, amen.